I'm not here to poke holes in suspended disbelief. Anyway, they see some weird shit. They decide to make a baby. Thou Merkin merchant. Who gives a fuck? Oh my god, we're just gonna start calling you Damien Yeltsin's billboards. Well, you know, uh, I really like it here. Uh, it's kind of nice, and uh, it's not as cold as back home, and the soil is a lot better. So yeah, sure, I think we're gonna settle. If I'm a peasant boy who grabs a sword out of a stone, yeah, I'm able to open people up. You will, yeah. Anytime I hit them with it, right? Yeah. So my cleave landing will make me a cavalier. Good day, sir. If Siskel thought it was empty-headed plebeian trash, he was probably <laughs> really good at groove on it. <laughs> because cannibalism and murder. Pull back just a little bit and build walls to keep out the redheads. Authorial intent doesn't exist. Some people stand up and wipe their butts. Some people stay seated and wipe their butts. Like, it just... is a geek history of time where we connect nerdery to the real world my name is ed blaylock i'm a world history teacher and a rabid dungeons and dragons nerd here in northern california uh where i am currently teaching uh world history and one section of uh, remedial reading over the internet uh, and uh, in some personal news i just uh managed to achieve uh, a, a childhood goal for myself. Uh, the other night, I ordered Velcro my shoes. Own... Nice. Yes. Nice. No. 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 Uh, I am a child of the '80s, but no. Um, I, I I managed to order for the first time for myself, rather than waiting for it as a present from somebody else. Huh? I ordered a lightsaber. I. <laughs> A, a I'm sorry. Time out. That yeah. distinction is hilarious unto itself. Yes. Your your childhood goal was that yeah. you spent with your own money uh, yes. well, to buy a lightsaber because you'd previously lived in a world where other people would buy it for you as a gift. Yeah, well. So it was not well, specifically the ownership of said lightsaber that was the childhood well, no, goal I already, anymore I already, I already have a couple but yeah no right I, i'm getting i'm getting one this this one is entirely my own <laughs> in that way i'm a gryffindor this is a big freaking deal it sure right? sure yeah so uh yeah no it's uh rebel sabers who have have not yet paid me any money but after i receive it um i i may be willing to you know throw some more airtime their way mm-hmm uh, for sponsorship, uh, but it's a Rebel Sabers Justicar. Uh, it's it's way too pretty, mm-hmm. way too pretty. It is not going to be here in time for my birthday. Okay, but it is my birthday gift to myself. Nice, nice. And I am and I am very excited. Uh, additionally, mm-hmm. um, <laughs> I, I had a I had a fatherhood moment uh, earlier this evening. Uh, where I was, I was moving stuff around on, on a bookshelf because there's a whole lot of whole lot of clutter on the on the bookshelves uh, in our living room, and I was busy moving stuff around. And in the process of doing that, I wound up sitting on the floor, you know, moving stuff into boxes. Mm-hmm. And my little boy came over, and he was looking at the very large cardboard box that I was taking stuff out of and breaking stuff down from. Mm-hmm. And he picked up a. a piece of paper out of it he said daddy who is that and i told him who that was and mm-hmm. he said okay and who's this guy and i told him who that guy was 
And we had kind of a conversation back and forth. And a moment later, my wife mentioned, spoke from from the kitchen on the other side of our our our, live, our open plan kind of apartment. Mm-hmm, mm-hmm. She said, "You do realize you're sitting on the floor with your son in your lap talking about Warhammer Forty Thousand, right?" Nice. And I said, "Yeah, I've totally yeah no, I, I I did I did totally know what I was doing, and I am having my own internal glow moment. Thank you." Uh, because I got to explain to him who, who a space marine was and how he was fighting against a Necron who was an evil undead robot. And I'm not going to lie, that gave me quite the warm fuzzy there, getting to explain that to my little boy. Uh, a, little, a little earlier, kind of in the same chain of events, uh, he had noticed uh, one of the books that I had taken off the shelf, and he said, Daddy, who's this guy? <laughs> I said, he's a space wolf. Nice. So space wolves? Yes. I've never seen space wolves. Well, you have, because Daddy's been painting his army on the table, but you've never seen one that looks like that. No. <laughs> so yeah, I'm introducing my son to the culture of the route and to to Warhammer 40k. And, nice. And on top of that, I'm waiting for my lightsaber to get shipped. So like, as a geek, it's a good week. It's a good it geek really, week. It it really doesn't get very much better than that. How yeah. are you doing? Well, I'm Damien Harmony. I'm a Latin teacher up here in Northern California. I'm doing just fine. My son asked me last week, very, very worried, very concerned. William was. He says, "I just and I've and I've and yeah. I need everybody in the audience to understand. I can so clearly picture the look that I know was on his face. Oh yeah, I've seen this. Oh okay, yeah. Go ahead. So he says." I'm I'm feeling stressed out. I was like, okay, learning new phrases. This is good. I said, what's up? And he says, I'm stressed out about voting. <laughs> okay, what's stressing you out? Well, how how many elections are there? I was like, do you mean how much time is between elections? Yeah. Well, it depends on the election, son. I mean, there are local elections, there are there are district elections, there are statewide elections, etc. He's like. Do I have to vote in all of them? I said, well, democracy is kind of a sacred duty that we have, and it, it is only as strong as people participating. So, yes, you do. You need to participate in all the democracy um, and and use it all as strong as you can. And he's like, okay, but I'm really stressed out about voting. I'm like, you know, that's fair. So what you want to do is make sure you're an informed voter. Um, research the issues, cast your vote, and then you have to let it go. Can you do that? Yeah, okay. All right, cool. I get an email from his teacher yesterday. William wants to run for class president. He's giving his speech today. Oh, <laughs> and he had Wait. not told me any of this. And, and so then it all kind of clicked into place. So that was yesterday. So, so, so yesterday at lunch, I called him because he was at his mom's that day. And I called him. And I said, dude, you're running for class president? Yeah. Wow, that's that's incredibly brave. Why? I have never done that. He says, I know. I'm, I'm really hoping that I get it. And and me being the very quick thinker that I am, all the possibilities explode into my head as to what could happen. And only one of them ends with him winning. Most of them end with him being very disappointed. And he wears his heart on his sleeve. So I told him, I said, have you ever heard of Abraham Lincoln? He's like, yeah. I said, do you remember what he did? He's like, no, I kind of forgot. Okay, fair enough. Um, I said, he was president. He was a very important president. I said, do you know what he did in the beginning of his career? 
No. He lost. Oh. I said, yeah, he lost badly. I said, you know what happened the next time? What? He lost again. I said, actually, he only ever won twice in his whole career. All the other times, he kept losing. But he never let that stop him from pushing forward and trying to do good. So I want you to remember that if tomorrow the election doesn't go your way, that you get to be disappointed, you get to be upset, but it's absolutely your job to support whoever wins, and it's absolutely your job to run again if you think that you were the better candidate. But you have to accept the results of the election. And he's, okay, I will. will. Okay, cool. And so I called him last night. How did it go? He's like, would you like to hear my speech? Absolutely. He read me his speech. I am... 90% sure that my daughter, Julia, helped him write that speech. But it was a wonderful speech. Um, And I told him, I said, you have to bring that home because we have to frame that. Um, So then I I found out tonight that he did not win, that in fact he was very disappointed and somewhat tearful. And I was like, I I didn't get to talk to him. This was just reported to me. Uh, And so I was like, okay, well, you know, I will I will handle that tomorrow. I will absolutely bolster that and and very much validate the feelings of disappointment, but also push forward as like we knew that this was a likely possibility. There were four of you running. Um, you know, mathematically your odds are low, uh, but also the fact is that you exercise democracy by participating at a very very important level. So I'm I'm super proud of my son. Uh, he's also That's making awesome. dinner next or tomorrow. Um, because I do this thing now where my kids have to cook out of a cookbook every Saturday. Um, my daughter cooks out of the Dungeons and Dragons Heroes Feast cookbook. Uh, my son cooks out of the Wookie Cookie cookbook. So he's making Han burgers and Wookie cookies because we're having the Falcons Feast, I guess. Um, okay. But he also asked, he's like, is there a Marvel cookbook? So the Marvel cookbook arrived yesterday as well. So I think that that's nice. going to help him soothe the fact that he lost this time and we can we can work toward the you know the the nova nuggets or something all right so i like it yeah so I, that was a long way around but it's it's democracy baby and it's working so very cool yeah yeah so i'm also very having cool. a, a pretty cool week as far as that kind of stuff goes i'd say that's a pretty major parenting win you know i i'll take it like, i will absolutely like, take yeah. it like I'm happy that my kid is just sleeping all the way through the night and, awesome. and not coming into our not coming into our room until you know five thirty when his when the color of his of his uh, nightlight changes. <laughs> <laughs> but, I had a friend yeah. who had a stoplight basically a stoplight nightlight. So yeah. at yellow you can get off your bed and play in your room, and at oh. green you could come get mom and dad. Okay. Yeah. That, that's yeah. Ours good. is just ours is just blue and green. Blue. Mm-hmm. You need to you need to stay in bed. Green. You right. can come into mommy and daddy. Right. Um. Because we're we're not we're not quite to that level of of uh, BDS and M training. Yeah. Yet. Yeah. Yeah. <laughs> cool. Teach him young, man. But, Th- yeah, those are rules know, of consent, yeah. dude. That's 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 not a bad yeah. thing. It just yeah, no, you don't want to think in those contexts yet. Yeah, 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 yeah. I get you. So yeah, so. but uh, yeah. So no, we're we're having we're having a pretty good week. Cool. Uh, well, why don't so. we get into fourth ed? Yes. And and spoil it yes. all. Yes. So <laughs> destroy um, our faith in humanity. 
I'm ready. It's not going to be. It's not going to be that bad. Okay. It's genuinely not going to be that bad. Okay. <laughs> voids, but it's not going to be that bad. Oh, okay. Um. So it, we're, when I when I left off, mm-hmm. um, we we were we were kind of talking about you know what what the what what the what the uh, onus was or what the what the what the, what the reason was behind kind mm-hmm. of the emotional reaction that that folks had between third and fourth and, right and at the very beginning of the episode you you had kind of already kind of kind of struck the chord with it um there was uh, a very big part of it that was the the time in which it was happening mm-hmm. uh and and I don't want to make too much too much out of like well you know it was Obama running for president. But rather, it was that there was a generational shift underway in the hobby. Yeah, a demographic shift, if you a, will. A a significant demographic shift in the mm-hmm. hobby. Uh, the the folks who were moving into the prime wage earner category were a younger generation than the ones who had grown up with first edition through third. Mm-hmm. And so there there was i'm i'm convinced there was a significant generational difference in response i believe it uh, there was a really really big mechanical difference between the games which i, I want to go into some more detail on cuz mm-hmm. I, I think it's important uh to talk about as we go then into looking at 4th edition into 5th edition mhm but there was a, there was a big mechanical shift between between everything that came before in fourth edition, and it was rooted in a philosophical change in the way the game was being presented. One of the things that that came up in uh, one of the two source books, uh, mm-hmm. races, classes, and monsters, and I've got to look it up again. Uh, Magic? Uh, worlds and Monsters. Okay. One of the one of the things that came up in, in Worlds and Monsters was this this idea that, okay, in, in fourth edition, the world is going to be a different place. Everybody who had played first edition, second edition, and, and into third was very very familiar with um <clears throat> settings like Greyhawk and the Forgotten Realms right which by this time had developed a whole lot of their own uh, uh lore and there had been a lot of storyline development uh mm-hmm. there was a whole plot line uh in in second edition AD&D there was a whole plot line about a devastating like war, essentially world war in Greyhawk, referred to okay. as the Greyhawk Wars, in which the evil demigod Ayus uh, worked with, you know, manipulated a bunch of powers into into fighting against each other, and you know, conquered a whole huge swath of the territory. Okay. And and I mean, at the time, it was done as a way to kind of shake things up in the Greyhawk setting. But it wound up as time went on, it then became part of the canon. It became part of the lore for the whole setting. Mm-hmm. And, and, you know, similarly, when first edition changed to second edition in the Forgotten Realms, there was a whole huge, uh, 
lore development called the Time of Troubles that explained how the whole cosmos, the whole uh, uh, multiverse, mm-hmm. had changed between first edition and second edition with, you know, and, and the nature of, of the way gods interacted with their followers changed between first and second edition. So there were these huge changes in the Forgotten Realms between the two game editions. So real quick, though, um, this game has graduated quite a bit from being, here's how you pretend to be the wizard on the miniatures board, to here is the fiction that underlies this world. And instead of just treating it as, oh, well, if I want to, I can add this lore to it, and it now has become... Uh, quite frankly, um, iconic, and and I mean that in the Eastern Orthodox kind of way. <laughs> um, oh, oh you, you just made my Catholic heart so happy. <laughs> but like, coming it's from, it from, from coming from a from 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 a heathen non-believer like <laughs> you that means so much to hear. And you know, I say that with, of course, all the respect and affection. In the oh, world. of course, I of can't course. Stop myself from from you know calling you an asshole. So yeah, yeah, yeah. No, I. You know. <laughs> Yeah, yeah. why not both? But but okay, so but in all honesty, like it it's like you people had to go out of their way to get upset about shit because (laughs) I could play that game and homebrew my own world and never touch any of the back of that book. I could I could play in someone else's game and never touch the planar realms and what actually happened cosmologically because oh, yeah. I'm playing an urchin in a city that's nowhere near Greyhawk, you know, and on and on and on. Yeah. Like it's yeah. such a big world that you could absolutely ignore all that stuff. And people are now getting really upset that they've upset the cosmology there. Well, okay. Here's, here's, here's where I was kind of going with that. And, mm-hmm. and you're not entirely wrong. You're you're totally on point. With yeah, I was gonna, no, this is lived experience. I've talked to people yeah. who were very oh, passionate, oh, yeah. which oh, oh, yeah. to me it's it's kind of similar to people who are like really impassionate about those damn Baptists. You know, I'm like, oh, okay, cool. Your made up gods are, you know, at least there's stats on these. You know? <laughs> <laughs> like at least I know how many hit points this guy has. Right. right? You know, yeah. I'm like, this is a dogma yeah. I can understand. You know. Yeah. <laughs> But you know, you know, so so. The, the <laughs> oh, your spell goes off at vespers. You know, it's like yeah, that kind yeah, of. Thing. Yeah, yeah, <laughs> no. Yeah. yeah, it's it's the first Sunday after the first new moon <laughs> right. after spring. Yeah. Oh, it's not per uh, encounter. As, as opposed, oh, okay. As opposed to as opposed to those guys, mm-hmm. it's you know. Right. Yeah. Right. Uh, to to go into one one of the most you know famous examples in in Christianity, <laughs> like when's Easter? Oh, don't get us started on that. <laughs> Right. Speaking speaking specifically as a Roman Catholic, I beg you, please, <laughs> please don't get my fellow Christians going on that. Yeah. Like, yeah. Well, you know, no, the, with, the answer with, is really with all, easy. With all of the reverence I can summon for it, which is a great deal, please, 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 I also have a sense of humor. So I'm going to say, please don't get them started. The, the answer is you easy. Know. You just say Easter Sunday. Well, there you go. Call it good. Yes, it, it should be. Yes. <laughs> so. A perfect world. Yeah. Yes. There you go. Anyway, so people so, are really upset so, about these made-up so, gods. So, well, yeah. So, but the, the thing is, <laughs> the, the, the whole reason I bring that up is mm-hmm. because 
those were incidents and and like the issue with the forgotten realms i i do remember mm-hmm. in in junior high school um i i was never really attached to the forgotten realms as a setting it was not one that really lit me up very much mm-hmm. but it was one that a lot of people get very passionate about and the change from first edition to second edition um a, a lot of a lot of people felt like like fans of of any franchise mm-hmm. can tend to feel when there's a huge change in the franchise, people can get butthurt. Yeah. And that's, uh, you know what, that's fair and valid because it speaks to their connection to those characters, that world, that, that thing. Like yeah. I, I get yeah. that. I do. Yeah. Yeah. So, so the forgotten realms had, had this huge shift between first and second edition. And there were a bunch of people between first and second who were like, I had this whole, this whole time of troubles, this whole introducing, you know, smoke powder and, and mm-hmm. guns into into the setting because it's second edition and we gotta we gotta introduce something new and you know just kind of ruffled feathers noises and and there were a lot of people who were who were miffed um, but then in in worlds and monsters mm-hmm. there's a preview to fourth edition. Uh, the designers for Wizards who were who were working on Fourth Edition said, mm-hmm. um, "We're going to be portraying a world. The, the baseline assumption for playing Dungeons and Dragons is that you're living in a world where civilization is made up of bright spots in the middle of a a darkened wilderness." Now, when is this? Uh, this was 2007 into 2008. Well, that, Jesus, yeah. I mean, think of all the gritty TV. Oh yeah, like it, well, yeah. And this was, and and the way they were, and the way they were portraying this didn't make it sound like you know a 90s comic book series, like you know all the grit, you know post-apocalypse. They never, I mean, like for example, they never used the phrase post-apocalypse. Right. You could kind of look at it and see how. Well, you know, uh, you're living in a world where they're where, where the world is because they hold on, I mm-hmm. cat in the way. <laughs> Sorry, um, they 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 talked about how you know you're you're gonna be you're gonna be an adventurer in a world that is very very ancient, mm-hmm. but simultaneously very young. And and I remember that kind of phrasing, uh-huh. and, and it was you know, and, and civilization is made up of these bright points surrounded by this by this kind of wilderness and and you know i mean essentially when you put the pieces together that's kind of post-apocalyptic it's it's not like mad max post-apocalyptic but it it you can kind of see where that where that vibe comes in you know in 2006 superman came out superman returns specifically a darker, grittier Superman, where he is a flawed Boy Scout. He's both, you know, older and younger, you know, yeah. and and he's a single dad, or yeah, I mean, he's 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 found that he's got a son. Um, you know, there's there's a lot of Brandon Routh got did dirty. Well, yeah, but I like, I just want to say because he did an amazing job. Like, like, yeah. 
I, I, I guess my, my point, Sorry. my larger point, though, is that culturally, this is where we were. Like, a grittier, grittier world. You know, it, yeah. it, it was there. Yeah. It was there. Yeah. Oh, yeah. Yeah. And and so they they said this about this this kind of overarching philosophy of world design. Mm-hmm. And then when the game came out and they they before they released the fourth edition version of the Forgotten Realms, they they released the Cyclopedia of the Realms, which was kind of a combination lore book and and art book mm-hmm. uh, that included a bunch of a bunch of like retcon new material that basically created a way for them to turn the Forgotten Realms into this kind of setting that they talked about. And and as a player, I'll say that personally my own opinion was I felt that, that there were problems with the realms as a setting because it was already so settled. It was already, mm-hmm. you know, there already was a dynasty that had lasted for, you know, 12, 13 generations in, in Cormir, which was kind of the, the you know, and now we, we have our Arthurian fantasy kingdom right here. And that was, right. that was you know, and that was Cormir. And then next Next to them was the, do you want to play an Italian city-state? Then here you are in Sembia. And that was all, like, built out mm-hmm. and developed and defined. And, you know, every detail was already kind of figured out because these settings had been around since the 80s. Mm. You know? Yeah. And 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 just just with, you know, adventures being published and, and novels being put out, there had already been so much stuff written that it was like to me as a player, I was like, so, okay, I'm either going to get to be a usurper someplace or my DM is going to have to introduce some, you know, demonicus ex machina. Right. To, to, you know, fuck things up for me to wind up coming in and being the hero. Like, yeah. Right. And, and so that, that was, I mean, that was my attitude, but I, I clearly was kind of in the minority because because wizards released this this uh, cyclopedia of the realms mm-hmm. and there were a whole lot of really angry fans um because they had taken a setting that a whole lot of people had a lot of time and energy and emotional investment in right and they wound up they wound up doing some very fundamental things to the cosmology and they and and more i think i think even bigger than that they wound up retconning some things from the very earliest earliest beginnings of the proto history of the universe in order to come up with a way to get a a result that they that they wanted to get to have the setting be what they needed it to be mm-hmm. to be the official setting for fourth edition well, you do also see that in Marvel Comics with um, you getting toward uh, the Sentry, uh, Bob Reynolds, I think the character's name was, um, where he, I mean, he's basically Superman on steroids, and he uh, he's agoraphobic, he's a flawed person and all this, and everybody's treating him like he's been around forever, and I'm sitting there going like, I, I don't remember this dude at all. And then they absolutely retconned him as someone 
cast a spell on the whole world, so they mostly forgot him, and that's why we all forgot him. To the point where they even published, like, four-color comics versions of the century, um, which was kind of cool. It was a cool approach, you know, it, like, and it looked it's, like the four-color comics. It oh, was, well, that's yeah. an interesting conceit. Yeah, you know, but... Um, but, but yeah. I can also see how it made some people really, really, really angry. Oh, I don't doubt it. Because yeah. there's, there's a level of scrappy-do kind of going on there. Mm-hmm. In, in, that, mm-hmm. in that particular case, there's a level of scrappy-do going on. Yeah. And so, so, so then, then they wound up releasing the setting for 4th edition for the Forgotten Realms. Mm-hmm. And there was a whole new set of continents that they introduced on the, on the other side of the planet from... from uh, the Flanaeus. No, I'm sorry, Flanaeus is Greyhawk from from the rest of the heartlands of of the Forgotten Realms. There was a whole other continent that didn't work the same way that that operated like I, I want to go so far as to say under a different kind of fantasy aesthetic. Um, and you know the thing is, mm-hmm. as its own setting, I think it could have been awesome. I mm-hmm. think I think there were there were some really interesting ideas. There there was some there was some fun stuff going on, and it was and and the differences in everything were tied to the changes that they had made in the cosmology of the universe. And and I mean, as a piece of writing, I think it was really good. But I think the problem was there were a whole bunch of players who mm-hmm. were already all set to dislike anything. Right. That they did with this new edition because of the way the new edition was working, because of the the radical way they were changing everything. And then they did this to this beloved setting. And this was just like pouring gasoline on these people's hate fire. Mm. Like, yeah. like, you know, on top of everything else, look at what they've done to the Forgotten Realms. Right. And 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 it it really fell flat. Like there are a small number of people within within the D and D community mm-hmm. who are fans of fourth edition. I'm going to go so far as to say I'm one of them. I like it. Mm-hmm. Like I genuinely like uh, a lot of things. Fourth edition. I'm, I'm going to say this. Fourth edition is the one edition of D and D that I actually looked forward to being the DM. Mm, okay. Because there were a lot of things in the way they designed fourth edition that made running a game a lot easier. Um, there was a very simple way to design an encounter to be at the right level. Nice. Um, multiple to, in the three point five campaigns that I've played in, mm-hmm. there have been more. There has been more than one occasion. Uh, on which an experienced DM has thrown together an encounter that turned out to be either way too easy, mm-hmm. which as a player I didn't really ever have too much of a problem with. Although it was, you know, on, on one occasion it was a little bit of a letdown. Like, really? I've been like <laughs> waiting for this to be a thing for weeks, and this right. is what it turns out to be. Uh, but then on the other side, uh, one of them very notably turned into a situation that was like a narrowly averted TPK mm-hmm. because the DM figured out he was about to have a TPK on his hands like mid-encounter and went, okay, I got to change some stuff. 
And he was, and he was savvy enough and, and creative enough and cared enough about all of us having fun to make those changes on the fly so that, mm-hmm. so that that didn't wind up happening. And, and that only wound up with half the party in negative hit points. Wow. Okay. Like, you know, and, and we're talking about, and, and we had a very large party plan. We had something like eight characters in our, in our party. So in a smaller group, it would have been a TPK. Sure, like, sure. In round two. Right. Like, you know, um, and so, you know, that, 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 so, so having that ability uh, to, to design encounters more easily mathematically and, and, and the, and the amount of effort that went into, you know, figuring out how we're going to make it so this is easy to do. Mm-hmm. Uh, made it a game where being the, the DM was something I kind of looked forward to doing. I had a I, I had a game that I ran that sadly because of scheduling issues only lasted a few sessions but like some of my fondest memories of of ever being a DM are, are from that very short lived campaign. Sure. Uh, one of the mechanics that they introduced in 4th edition that I, I think is amazing is the idea of mooks. They have, they have monsters who are, who are uh, minions. Mm-hmm. Uh, and the idea is uh, a minion monster does a fixed amount of damage with each attack. So like a, a minion hobgoblin is going to do five points of damage every time it attacks. So to a first level character, a minion hobgoblin is a meaningful threat. Right. But if you hit that minion hobgoblin once and do one hit point of damage, it he dies falls down. Right. Yeah, I love that about fourth ed. I which, thought that which, was great. Which, oh yeah, because because it number one, it can make combats go. You you have to worry about okay, no, I've got to take these guys out, but I don't have to spend an hour out of a combat encounter. If I've only got four hours to play, right. I don't have to spend an hour dealing with a bunch of low-level mooks mm-hmm. when, when the drama is supposed to be about our paladin going up against their leader. You know, we don't, we don't have to spend forever just, just hacking our way through the hit points of all of the followers. Mm-hmm. And you don't have you to know. worry about rolling low and this cool yeah. spell, like, not working on anybody. Yeah, turn, yeah. turning out to be a complete disappointment. Mm-hmm. Yeah. It was it was great, and then as a as a DM and as a player, I really liked the idea that they codified a way to earn experience points for skill use. Like like one of one of my fondest memories of being a DM is I came up with a with a skill challenge kind of on the fly. Um, I only had three characters in the party. Uh, we had a cleric, we had a dwarf, no, I did have four characters. I had a warlock, we had a cleric, we had a dwarf fighter, and we had a, a thief. And um, the the characters were, were, you know, having their downtime in a tavern, and uh, I had all of them, I rolled for them uh, behind the screen. They, they all, you know, made made perception checks. And several of them noticed that there was this weird oily sheen on the surface of their drinks. And, and, you know, one of them like totally did not notice it. 
and and I got to run an entire encounter that was that was built around the the three of them who figured it out uh, trying to figure out who had poisoned them without giving away the fact that they were trying to figure out who had poisoned them. And like they got to earn experience points for doing that. That's cool. Because in the Dungeon Master's Guide it said, here's how you do this thing. Right. You know, they have to rack up so many successes before they rack up so many failures. Mm-hmm. <clears throat> and, you know, using this skill and succeeding here can then open them up to use this other skill to do this thing. And like, oh my God, like there's actually a meaningful reason to have to, to have spent skill points on stuff like holy crap that's amazing and this is the beginning of the skill challenge yes yeah yes precisely Mm -hmm. and so uh you know and and so there were there were these things about the mechanic fourth that were amazing but for a lot of people that wasn't D&D right and you know the the emotional response to that for a lot of those folks was one of I feel invalidated, I feel attacked, I feel threatened, I feel like you're telling me my choice of game is not as good. Mm-hmm. And it's like, well, okay, I mean, I can argue about the virtues of this system versus that system, but I'm not saying like you're a bad person for like wanting to just go murder hobo, like, right? If that's what you have fun doing, then go do that. But I'm gonna go over here where where I can where I can actually like tell a narrative. Like, mm-hmm. you know, this is kind of what I want to do. Yeah. Well, uh, I think we're seeing a difference again between people who wanted to win. I mean, that's I remember what happens when after you get to level twenty. Like, and and that to me was not that different than the episode that we did on what what happens when you get past level nine as a fighter, you know, like, yeah. like they want genuine rewards in this imaginary world. And, and then you have a new generation of players who want to play in a very different way. And, and so there are rules to adjudicate any number of things, uh, you know, including combat, of course, but also all these other things that involve cleverness and stuff like that. So yeah. again, I get that like people are, you know, it, it, it reminds me of uh, whenever people get upset at there being a new Star Trek movie. Like, in yeah. fairness, you know, most of the Star Trek movies are garbage. Like, rewatch them. They're hard to bear. <clears throat> um yeah, and and I have thoughts and right. ideas as to why that is but ultimately like if you look at the the fan response to Star Trek movies when they come out um it's it's always frustrated it's always aggrieved um and one of the reasons why is is because you took the thing that they've invested all their time and and love and energy into and you've changed it and thereby told them on some level that their love for it was not valid enough to keep it the same. Yeah. So yeah, yeah there's I, a lot of overlap there. Yeah. Yeah. No, I think, I think there's a lot to that. So, you know, and, and so this, this turned into a, a genuine schism. Like 
between second and third edition, there were a great many players who said, you know what, this is this. I don't I don't like this. I don't as as you mentioned, the the proprietor of the FLGS mm-hmm. saying, you know, this is this this isn't this isn't D&D anymore or, or your actually I'm sorry, it was your DM at, at second to third mm-hmm. saying, you know, it's not D&D anymore. It's a great system, but it's not D&D anymore. And and. Between 3.5 and 4th, there was this real schism. I mean, you know, you, you talk about iconic things in the in the Eastern Orthodox sense. Oh, yeah. That's really kind of the way it was. And I think part of, part of what added fuel to the fire was the fact that by the time this happened the landscape of tabletop RPG publishing was a very different place. Mm-hmm. And a company like Pezo could say, well, you know what? We've been publishing all these adventures for 3.5. We know the 3.5 rules really well under the open gaming license. And so, you know what? We're going to take the D20 system and we're going to change a couple of things and under the OGL and under the D20 system, we're going to do Pathfinder. And if you mm-hmm. don't like the way fourth edition is going, you, you are going to still have this other source. That's going to continue. We're going to continue putting out, uh, adventure paths. We're going to continue putting out, uh, new, new splat books and mm-hmm. you're going to get new feats and you're going to get all this stuff, essentially utilizing the 3.5 system and i and i know i know that there are going to be pathfinder players who are like pathfinder is not 3.5 okay no you're right there are there are some differences but i mean seriously mechanically it's 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 almost one for one 3.75 it's it's yeah it's it's like Mm 3.5.2 you know uh now interestingly in the last year and a half uh maybe two years at this point uh, they have actually come out with a second edition of Pathfinder, which is a much bigger change uh, because they legitimately looked at looked at it because 3.5 had basically the same pro- uh, Pathfinder had basically the same problems as 3.5. Mm-hmm. It still relied on the Christmas tree issues. Uh, it it still had you know the difficulty classes when you got up when you got up to high levels meant you know skills were still just proficiencies with with makeup on them and mm-hmm. uh, combat was still way too complicated and so they made some very significant changes to a number of parts of the rules and they released Pathfinder 2.0 and interestingly my own understanding being very much at an arm's length removed from it is that most everybody who's a pathfinder player looks at pathfinder 2.0 and goes yeah yeah it needed to be simplified and they fixed a lot of stuff Mm -hmm. which i look at and i'm like okay but like changing things to fourth edition was like a bridge too far right you know, well, yeah, because at that point it's there's there's a branding. Yeah, well, yes, number one. Yeah, uh, and and then I think also there is legitimately there is the issue that fourth edition was like there there are so many mechanical differences mm-hmm. 
like you know you still have six stats you still use a d20 you still add modifiers to a d20 roll but like saving throws were changed mm-hmm. very dramatically uh you know there, there were there were a lot of things that were very different and it was it was not it was an evolution rather than a simplification right okay this still reminds me of there was an article I read in the Onion um, after the first Chris Pine Star Star Trek came out, and I didn't like it because the it was the mid two thousands. I could probably look up when um, it was like two thousand seven to two thousand nine thereabouts, um, and it came out, and I didn't like it because there was the screeching metal sound like. And, and that seemed to permeate a lot of sci-fi movies at that point. They're all doing oh, screeching metal. Yeah. I'm yeah, like, okay. this sucks. Um, yeah. And it takes me out of things. Um, but I remember an article being written in The Onion, and it said, um, Star Trek fans angry that Star Trek, that new Star Trek movie is a watchable, enjoyable movie. <laughs> <laughs> and this totally echoes uh, that. Okay, so... so building off of that uh there's a web comic entitled hijinks and sue and i mm-hmm. don't know if it's still running but i know it was when when the the first of the new track movies came out and the and the author of of the web comic is a massive massive trekkie like huge trek nerd and has been forever and so the new the new chris chris pine movie came out and uh, <laughs> and and he and he published a comic, and, and the first two panels were a couple of guys sitting in the audience of of the new movie, going, "Oh, this is this is unholy. This is terrible. This is what would what would Roddenberry say? Oh God, this is oh my God, this is this is terrible. Such a desecration of the of the of the franchise." And and you know you're you're reading this and you're like oh yeah okay yeah I know he's a typical Trekkie he hated it, <laughs> and, and the last frame of the comic is the the main character of the comic who is this dude mm-hmm. in comic form, uh, uh, standing at the front of the movie theater like clutching the screen and like humping the screen. <laughs> 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 And and yeah, it was just and, and his commentary about the movie was just like this was absolutely so amazing. Like I cannot begin to tell you how awesome this movie was. Right. And and yeah, so you know, um, and and I gotta say, I'm I'm the the way you know anybody asks me, you know, what kind of nerd are you? I say, well, you know, I'm Trek adjacent. Right. Like I have, I have a lot of friends who are very, very, very passionate Trekkies. You're, you're one of them. Mm-hmm. You know, you're a DS9 guy mostly. Yes. But you know, I, I have, I have other friends who are very, very emotionally attached to the original series. Mm-hmm. Who, you know, will, will argue passionately about, you know, uh, TNG being some of the best science fiction television ever done. Yep. Like, you know, and, and I mean, people who, who absolutely are madly in love with the franchise mm-hmm. and like I'm a nerd, so I'm around these people. So I know Star Trek. Right. You know, but I'm, I'm I, I never invested emotionally in it the same way that I did other things. Tolkien, Natch, you know, Star Wars uh, and that kind of stuff. And so I went and saw the, the that that film. 
the, the 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 beginning of New Trek. And I went and saw it, and I left the theater going like, okay, you know what? I might actually become a Trekkie. Like, I I genuinely came out of it going, I want to see more of this because that was genuinely entertaining. Oh yeah. So you know, yeah, and 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 so you know, they're they're within within a fandom of any kind, you're mm-hmm. going to have people who are like, no, 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 what you've done is awesome. I, I love this. I want more. Mm-hmm. And then you're going to have the people who are, you know, I don't like change. I'm a grognard. I've invested so much in this. Like this is threatening to me. Right. Reactionaries. Yeah. Yeah. And, and the thing is, I think fourth edition, sadly, mm-hmm. in my opinion, uh, alienated m- far more people than mm-hmm. brought into the hobby. Because um, because it lasted yeah. a very very short period of time, um, and there was a lot of crowing mm-hmm. when when it looked like fourth edition had turned into a bust. Um, there was an awful lot of crowing by a lot of those same grognards about, yeah, see, see, it's dying. It's because they killed it. It sucks. It deserves to go away. You know, kind of stuff. And, mm-hmm. you know, and all right, whatever. So then in 2012, uh, Wizards, <laughs> uh, so so five years later, an even shorter period of time than 3.5 it existed, uh, five years after Fourth came out, uh, Wizards announced that um, they were they were coming out with they were going to come out with another edition of the game, and it for and, and initially they referred to it as D and D Next, and the pro the the, the project was D and D Next. Like okay, mm-hmm. so you know, we've we figured out there's some limitations to Fourth Edition. There's there's people who don't who don't like what we've done, so we're we're working on trying to figure out what we're going to do with with D and D as a game. Uh huh. And uh, I heard about this, and because, you know, in, in writing this episode, I kind of figured out that, you know what, every time there's been a new edition of this game, I have responded with a mixture of, oh man, what are they going to do, combined with an awful lot of, dude, dude, whatever this is, I want it, I want it now. <laughs> Uh, because because I'm I, I I don't know how to describe what that is, but it's like, no 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 no. What's the new hotness? I must have this. I want I want to see what they're gonna do. Like this is gonna be awesome. Mm-hmm. And like I mean I've been disappointed a couple of times, but usually I've just been like, yes yes, this is amazing. This is the next big thing. This I got to do this. Um, and fifth edition was no different. As a matter of fact, with fifth edition, I was like, you know what? They're saying they're having an open play test. Right. I got to sign up for this shit. Like, how do how do I get to do this? Mm-hmm. And so, um, I actually wound up participating. I, I DM'd. I, I ran several sessions of the fifth edition rule set as it was being developed. Hmm. And um, then in 2013, um, they well over between 2012 and over the course of 2013. They released a series of packets of okay. Here's the latest iteration of what we're doing with the rules. Play this. Figure out how it's working. Respond to us. Let us know what's working, what's not. Right. Um, and in, in one of the playtest packets, I most I most 
clearly remember all of my players agreeing, including the guy who was playing the wizard character, agreeing that um, Firebolt is way too powerful a spell. <laughs> like as a first level or ray of fire. Mm-hmm. Ray of fire is way too powerful a spell. It bolt, should not bolt of flame. Damage. Yeah, thank you. Yeah. Bolt of flame should not be doing this much damage as a first level spell. Mm-hmm. I should not be able to do this. <laughs> like, you know, and, and this was part of the feedback. Mm-hmm. Um, and, and I was really excited to get to do that. Um, and so in uh, 2014, they released the official 5th edition rule set for D&D. Mm-hmm. Okay, so now, again, just like just like since 3.5, they're not referring to it as AD&D anymore. So now it's 5th edition Dungeons & Dragons. And now you and I actually have experience playing together in this rule set. Yes. And, and I think it's safe to say that we both like this rules set. Yes. It, it's a, there's a clear line from, um, I would say, third ed all the way up through this, like in terms of them wanting to make it easier to play. And, and here's the part that really matters to me um, that kind of points to the generation gap. Um, it is easier for us to make a cooperative storyline a collaborative storytelling session. Yes, very much. Yeah. Yeah. And, and there, there is a, they, they have, they have chosen in fifth edition, you know, a, a balance point somewhere between granularity and simplicity. And between lore and iconoclasm. Okay, explain what you mean by iconoclasm in that text, in that sense. Sure. So in the previous one, uh, the gods have done something totally different. All the things you thought you knew are different. Superman is back, and he's a single dad. You know, it's it's <laughs> everything's different. It's uh, yeah. it's different, okay. kind of for the <laughs> sake of being different, because it's been the same for so long that uh, we need to shake things up. That seems to be it. Okay. And and people react badly when you shake things up purely for the sake of shaking things up. You don't just turn a good guy into a bad guy unless you're trying to kill off that character. You you give the bad guy a reason to be a bad guy, you know, in wrestling. Okay. Yeah. You can't yeah. just shake it up, right? Yeah. A, a um, heel, a heel yeah. face or a face heel turn has to be explained. Exactly. There has to be a logic to it. Like Macho Man had a reason to attack Hulk Hogan. Um, stuff like that, you know, Mm -hmm. uh, so, uh, you know, you, 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 you had in four in Pathfinder, you had the, um, all the gods that you thought were cool or all the gods that you, you know, really got to know and you memorized what each of them was, you know, what their sphere of influence was and on and on and on. Ha ha. Look, we've changed it all. Scrappy doo. Um, and now I love how we keep going back to that example. Yeah. yeah. And, and now in five E, um, it, it seems to have settled back in toward what people knew a bit, like in terms of the lore with all the stuff that they've released and things like that. There are some new twists. There are some redefinitions of things. There are definitely inclusions where previously they had not been thought of, which I, I rather enjoy. Um, but more importantly, it is 
in many ways, like we're going back to Coke classic, but we're calling it Coke classic. Um, you know, and so five E I think strikes the balance between, Oh, we're going to, we're going to change some stuff up here, folks, but we're not going to, we're not going to change it up so that it's unrecognizable and you have to learn a whole new set of cosmology. Yeah. You know? Yeah, no, I, I think I think that's a that's a meaningful point. And mm-hmm. fifth, um, also, uh, very very importantly, uh, reintroduced or or I should say reintroduced because fourth fourth edition included feats, but feats were almost kind of vestigial. Mm-hmm. They 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 felt kind of tacked on, mm-hmm. and they provided the ability to do kind of different stuff, but they they didn't. They didn't have the same the same flash that they had had in in third and three point five and with fourth feats can be a very, very important part of your character, but there's a limited set of them, right? <laughs> and and they said, okay, no, look, here's what they are, and and we're not going to go introducing hundreds of new ones just to introduce hundreds of new ones. Um. And and the way the mechanic of the, the way the mechanics of spells and abilities and everything feel mm-hmm. a lot more like three five or feel a lot more like second edition. But at the same time, they've kept the idea that everybody in the party has something special they can do mm-hmm. most turns. Mm-hmm. Which was one of the which was one of the really big deals in fourth edition was we want to give everybody something they can do every round. We don't ever want to have a situation where the wizard is like, well, you know, that's it, I'm spent. Right. You know, or where the fighter just says, I hit him over the head again. Yep. You know, we want to we want to give everybody something kind of flashy, something kind of cool they can do every time they have a turn. And in fourth, that wound up turning into well, you know, okay, this time I'm using this this every round. This time I'm using this one. This you know, you switch back and forth between powers that were kind of scripted, right? Which turned into a limitation. Yeah. But with with this one, you know, fighters like okay, well, you know, what arc what fighter archetype are you doing? What fighting style have you chosen? And you can still have a character who it's like, no, no, I look different from that other fighter over there. And mm-hmm. I, and I, and I fight differently from that other character over there. Um, you know, and, and, and you still have that ability to, to customize things. And there's that level of granularity, mm-hmm. but at the same time, very importantly, they introduced advantage and disadvantage which I loved because if, if there's one word that I would use to describe 5e, it's streamlined. Yes. Yeah. Yes. And and so it's, okay, well, here's the deal. All of these conditions give you advantage. Mm-hmm. All of these conditions give the other guy disadvantage. But what happened you, to me stacking things up and, like, having a plus 20 to my roll? Like, oh, for fuck's sake, just roll two dice and pick the biggest one. Right. Come on. You know, and and it 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 still feels like like oh man, I have advantage, and that's a big deal. It is because yeah. because I mean, like you know, statistically, look at the way <laughs> look at the way those rolls go, and no, that's a big deal. Mm-hmm. Uh, but also, 
it manages to be a big deal without everybody having to keep track of, you know, a dozen different modifiers at once. Right. And so, so what's interesting is I don't know to what extent fifth edition has brought people back from Pathfinder. I genuinely don't know, Mm -hmm. but I do know that fifth edition has been a very big success at bringing new people into the hobby. Yes. Um, you know, sales figures for fifth edition are way better than, than fourth. Um, and, and it's since the advent of fifth that, and part of this is technology advancing, uh, but you know, critical role, Mm-hmm. And all of the podcasts and, you know, the, 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 the major gaming gaming group real play podcasts that we see mm-hmm. and, and those media, all nearly all of that is post fifth edition. Yeah. It's like um, we hit a critical mass. Yeah. And yeah. and 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 the 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 brand of dungeons and dragons i think has now become it's still not mainstream you're still if you play dnd you're still a nerd mm-hmm. there's no getting around that but but their fifth has lowered the threshold of entry for people yes and you no longer need to be an obsessive nerd. <laughs> like, like you know, you, you need you need to pay attention to some math, but you don't need to be like a math elite. Yeah, and anymore. well, because you're not strategizing how to win. Yes. You know, you're not coming up yeah. with like, well, if I stack this over here and then on this level I get this thing, and if I do this on this level, like you're not doing that. Which is nice. Yeah. Which, by the way, you know, three <laughs> five uh, more, I think, than than the others, enabled you to create the most specific character you could. Oh my God! Yeah. So there, there is literally a no, not another fighter that is like this character, right? Well, in five e, there there are going to be because there's only nine or ten different, you know, subclasses for fighters. So you're going to yeah. have similarities and overlap, you know, and stuff like that. And there's nothing wrong with that, by the way, because the 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 real thing about that is that, you know, you're into the cooperative, the collaborative storytelling. Whereas in 3.5, it was still, still a remnant of uh, the, I want to go hit monsters and take their stuff so that I can win. Yes. So, and which which was interesting because you would think the one that allows you the greater creativity when it comes to creating characters would be the one that allows more cooperative storytelling, but in fact, it was the opposite. So, again, another reason why they 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 nerd raged against four uh, O and uh, and Pathfinder. Yeah. Well. Yeah. And that's 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 part of it. Um, and and again, the the nerd rage against fourth fourth edition was was I think exacerbated mm-hmm. accelerated mm-hmm. In, in the sense of somebody using an accelerant to pour to pour fuel on a fire it was it was accelerated by pathfinder existing mm-hmm. so so the nerd rage was directed at fourth right and and it was it was aided and abetted by the fact that now there had been this you know lutherian schism and if you didn't want to go along with the church and stick with fourth 
or, or go to fourth, you could instead, you know, go to three five or go to go to Pathfinder, mm-hmm. which was still three five, and you know, you could, you know, uh, talk about how Wizards of the Coast was swimming in shit. Um, which, by the way, is one of my favorite quotes from Martin Luther about the Pope. Mm-hmm. Uh, <laughs> I love telling my, my students when we get to talking about the Reformation, I love telling them that, no, no, Martin Luther had a potty mouth. <laughs> like, if, like if I had directly quoted Martin Luther in front of you guys, I would get in trouble. Wow. So anyway, but, mm-hmm. you know, it, it was it was it was because there had been that 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 split mm-hmm. that that I think that I think the anger could could remain at the fever pitch that it did. Because between first and second edition, there were people who were like, eh, "This doesn't feel like my game anymore," and they and they just they just they kept playing using the first edition rules. Mm-hmm. Between second and third edition, they were like, "Well, you know, it doesn't feel like D and D anymore, but it's a pretty good system. We're going to keep going." Mm-hmm. Between third and fourth, it was like, "You have insulted my ancestors." Oh yeah. And I will never make peace. <laughs> and like and like now we're into fifth edition. And like within the last seven days, I've seen people throwing shit at each other online. Right. Because somebody had the temerity to say that, well, you know, I really liked fourth. Mm-hmm. Well, like you like cancer then. <laughs> it's like, like no, broccoli. No, bro yeah, yeah. Thank <laughs> you. Yeah, no, broccoli. Like, fuck off. Yeah. Now I I did find it heartening that the guy who who threw that toxicity was immediately bet by like half a dozen people in the forum going, dude, mm-hmm. where where did the bad man touch you? Mm-hmm. Walk away, which which was nice to see because you know five years ago that that wasn't that wasn't there. Right. Uh, you know there there would have been five or eight other guys joining him to pile in on the guy who said he liked fourth. Right. Um, you know, so, so that, that was not, that was a nice change. <laughs> the, the, the level of no, no man, walk it off was, was nice to see. Mm-hmm. Um, and, and the thing is, th- this is now what, what I want to kind of, kind of add a, a coda to with this. Mm-hmm. Is now that we're, now that we're living in the fifth edition world, we're also now living in the world where uh, black lives matter. Mm-hmm. We're also living in a world where Black Panther was a major, major important motion picture that made a huge amount of money at the box office. Over a billion. Yeah. We're, we're living in a world where uh, we've had uh, a, a mainstream Marvel comic character be a Muslim teenage girl mm-hmm. and where that same character name has now been portrayed on screen by a woman in a movie that ended without that woman choosing to fight her, her evil mentor. Mm-hmm. Where at the end of it, she just said, you know what? I don't need to fight you. Yeah, I don't. Well, she specifically said, I don't have anything to prove to you. Yes, yes. Which that's that's a very like you you passed the test. You've graduated from him begging the question that you need to fight him, you know, instead of like, well, yes, I could kick your ass. It's I don't have to prove myself to you. Yeah. 
Like that's that is a really important line in terms of of yeah that kind of stuff and many people have said that um brie larson's depiction of cat marvel she is coded as gay um and the the haircut in Endgame certainly helped that uh so you know you, you you're you're you yeah you're speaking to to one aspect of it but there is a second aspect and that is absolutely alive and vibrant in the 5e stuff as well oh you know, yeah. representation, not just of, of color and gender, but also gender fluidity, um, as well as sexuality. Yeah. And, and, um, there's a meme that went around, mm-hmm. uh, or is, is going around, uh, that I was, I was very disappointed by because I'm, I'm a huge fan of the Dragonlance setting, mm-hmm. the world of Ancelon from Dragonlance is is my my happy place um in in terms of like you know fantasy fiction comfort food Mm -hmm. that's my thing and i have identified to a possibly unhealthy degree with with sturm brightblade from the time i was about 12 years old okay um the the knight of salamnia who you know, uh, uh, never feels like he lives up to to the ideals of the order. Uh, consistently, you know, uh, winds up actually having the epiphany. Uh, that's a that's a very important moment, kind of in in the series. Uh, spoiler alert for a book, you know, that's f- practically forty years old now. Uh, he <laughs> dies um, in in a moment of of, of self sacrifice, uh, but he realizes that the order he he desperately 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 wants to be part of Mm -hmm. he realizes that that order has become ossified and is more concerned with the letter of its own rules than the spirit of its own honor yeah pool's law of of iron bureaucracy writ medieval yeah yeah and and his his whole like the core of his character is the oath of the knights of salamnia Est Solaris Oath Mythos, my honor is my life. Mm-hmm. And that this so so this character and this setting are are literally part of my own moral compass. Mm-hmm. And I love this setting so desperately. And I was I was so disappointed to see this meme. There was an image from I don't know, we're related to some more recent uh, D&D 5th edition or, or one of, one of the, the podcasts that I mentioned, one of, one of those campaigns mm-hmm. that was a whole bunch of, uh, you know, characters from a very modern D&D party. Uh, so, mm-hmm. you know, uh, as you mentioned, looking very gender fluid, uh, multiple tieflings in the party. So, you know, horns and kind of, you know, bat wings kind of going on right. and, you know, purple skin tones and, and pale and natural, like chalk white skin tones, mm-hmm. and, like all this kind of stuff in between, all of which is subconsciously coded for gender fluidity, yes. queerness, uh, you know, racial difference, all of this kind of stuff. Mm hmm. You know, and it was and it was this party of, you know, 2019, you know, 2000 teens, you know, into 2020s, you know, concept of this is a D&D party, right? Mm-hmm. 
and and you know with all of that all of that kind of you know subconscious kind of thing going on with it and that was the top image and it was a pretty badass image it was not an aesthetic that i grew up with it's not that if it lights me in that ass that's valid so with an image on top and then a famous painting of the companions from Dragonlance, mm-hmm. kind of the iconic figures from that from that setting, including Sturm Brightblade, on the bottom, and the top picture said, Reject modernity, the bottom pad embrace tradition. Wow. And I was I saw that and I was so fucking disappointed. Mm-hmm. Like, just, like, okay, no. Because every single, okay, maybe not every single face, one of the characters in The Companions uh, is a is a barbarian character who is who is coded in the setting as essentially being a Plains Indian. So okay. technically, he's not a white guy. Technically, he's not a white guy. Mm-hmm. Technically, one of the characters is a half-elf. Mm-hmm. He's got... Mm-hmm. Colored eyes and reddish hair. Uh, one of them is a dwarf, so not human. One of them is a kender, so basically a halfling. So okay, mm-hmm. not human. But basically, they're all white. Right. Uh, several of them are female, but the female characters in the group. One of them is the cleric. So the woman is shunted into a into a into a healing caretaking position. One of them is a fighter who, in the novels, is one of the main fighter of the party. And then the third one is the elvish prince who's in love with the half-elf mm-hmm. dude. And like, okay, for 1985... Mm-hmm. I mean, you basically just listed Gauntlet. <laughs> yeah, pretty much. Yeah. Not wrong, yeah. Uh, um, but but we're we're living in an era now where many more people who are playing our game identify as queer. Yes, open, are able to freely identify mm-hmm. as queer. Mm-hmm. We are living in an era where more and more non-white people. Uh, you know, black indigenous people of color, mm-hmm. the IP is playing our game. We are living in, in the player's handbook. Multiple characters are shown as being non-white. Yes. And as you've already out, are shown as being genderqueer. Like, are they, are they binary? Maybe not. Mm-hmm. Like, you know, they're they're shown in ways that are, are representative of ways that people exist in the world openly now. And you want to take all of that, and you want to run back to your fucking treehouse with all of the other white boys in your mom's basement back in 1986, like. And 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 of mine who took it down after I less caustically pointed these things out, and another friend, another mutual friend, pointed the same things out. Mm-hmm. Uh, 
uh, and and he took it, and I and I don't and, and like I know. I, I know he's not the kind of person to like exclude anybody from the game group. He's not the kind of person to be like against anybody's identity. But the thing is, we operate in a hobby for the first thirty plus years of its existence was overwhelmingly right cishead white guy, and a lot of us are of an age where we grew up with all of our heroes being cishead white guys. Like Stern Brightblade is a cishead white guy. I'm not gonna lie about that. Like, mm-hmm. you know, that's a thing. But you know, we 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 need to be aware of the ways in which we consciously or unconsciously make our hobby welcoming or not welcoming yeah. to people who fucking look like us, who don't have our same life experiences. Mm-hmm. And, you know, what, what I want to bring this around to is last year, Wizards added material if you if you go online and you buy a pdf copy of oriental adventures from first edition AD&D, there's going to be a page in that pdf that you're buying that's going to say this was published in an earlier era and it includes things that are stereotypes mm-hmm that may be offensive to people now. And the fact that Wizards went in and added that page to those books mm-hmm. had a great many guys your age and mine oh, yeah. and older than us absolutely shrieking mm-hmm. about how Wizards of the Coast was giving into PC pressure and they were turning into social justice warriors and my God, why can't you just let us have our hobbies? Well, here's the deal, motherfucker. There are other people who are joining us in our hobbies now who might look at that, who might actually want to try playing in a first edition game, but would look at that book and go, oh my fucking God, what did? What are you saying about my people? Right. Like, like no, man. This, this, is, this, is, literally, this, this is literally the country my ancestors came from. Mm-hmm. And you're depicting this how? Yeah. Like, you know, um, I, I look at some of the stuff in, in Oriental Adventures as a historian of East Asia, and I'm like, well, okay, that's kind of a massive oversimplification, but okay. Right. I'm saying that as a white guy. Like, if I were Chinese or Korean, mm-hmm. or to a lesser extent, it got most of the stuff about Japan fairly accurately, but, like, dude... <laughs> Yeah, you know, there's 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 stuff that like I, I I can't even begin to talk about it because I'm I'm not I'm not from one of those cultures. But like looking at that, I can totally see how some of the generalizations and some of the some of the myths that are perpetuated in it could be really offensive to somebody. Mm-hmm. Like acknowledging that that's the case is the absolute bare minimum. Yeah, and people like, get real upset that that's happening. And and the thing is, and the thing is. I think also this is part of what happened with 3.5 and, and into fourth is there's this recognition that there are more people joining the hobby. Those people don't all look like us. And, oh, my God, you're invading my tree house. Mm-hmm. Yeah. 
And and this is where I act. This is where I actually turn into an edition warrior. This is the point at which I actually get really angry about this because at the time, between second edition and three point five, it didn't really matter to me. Mm-hmm. At the time, between third and fourth, it didn't really matter to me. Now, after George Floyd, now in a world where Black Lives Matter, now in a world where I've started actually paying attention to this shit. It really makes me mad mm-hmm. because I was raised to believe that I should be doing everything I can to not be the guy who's an asshole. Right. And if I'm saying, well, you know, uh, what, why, are, why are you making me do this thing to acknowledge that this might be offensive? Like anybody, this isn't offensive. I don't think this is offensive. You know what? If you don't, that doesn't mean somebody else might not. Right. And if you refuse to acknowledge that there's even the chance of it being offensive, or worse yet, worse yet, if you say, well, you know, you shouldn't be offended by this. Right. Erasing their experience. Yeah. No, fuck you. Well, I would even... Fuck you. I don't want you at my gaming table. Like, like what, I, what I've, the thing I've come around to is like, if you have a problem with this, if you're going to perpetuate this, you know, reject modernity, you know, uh, 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 you know, stick with tradition kind of shit. You know what? I don't need you in my gaming group mm-hmm. because there are a whole lot of younger queer players of color who are going to come up with way cooler character concepts and are going to have a lot more fun actually fucking role playing mm-hmm. than you so you get the fuck out of my gaming store. Like you, you said you said earlier in our last episode talking about being a reverse gatekeeper. That's mm-hmm. like fully where I am with this. Like I don't need you in my hobby. Yeah, I mean there's you know, I, I want to go back to the the uh I kind of lost the thread there. The 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 offensive part. Um they're they are seeing inclusion as invasion. They are seeing um, like you said, you know, that you've come to my treehouse. They're they're seeing um dehumanization as merely offensive. They're seeing like there's there is a muting of another person's experience. Um, and what I get a kick out of is that in in these games, you never have a party of nothing but fighters. You never have a party of nothing but any single class. You absolutely have to have diversity in your party. The way to win at D&D is having a diverse party. Yeah. And yet, when it comes to actually having different folks with different perspectives and different goals, um, suddenly there there's a, a reticence, um, you know, a, a discomfort. Yeah. Um, and yeah, it's, 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 yeah, I mean, that, that, that's, that's, that's basically it. Like they, you know, they're, they're, they're more than just gatekeeping, they're excluding. Yeah. And that's, and that's really what it is, is like what you think was offensive to people and therefore it's not that big a deal was dehumanizing and therefore exclusionary. And it did its job. It made it so that you had a safe space for yourself to never be challenged. Uh, but frankly, those are challenges you should have like 
moved past quite a while ago. Um, mm-hmm. You know, and they shouldn't have been challenges. But like that's, you know, that's in many ways what's going on there is that D and D has ceased to be as exclusive. I'm not going to say it's perfect. I'm not going to say that it's it's done a perfect job. Uh, you know, very often progress happens in fits and starts, and there are steps backward before you step forward. And I think there have been half steps and and errors along the way, but the overall arch is leading toward inclusion of other people and validation of their experiences and their their fantasy wants. Um, and I think that's a very very good thing because in the beginning it was fetishization of other people's fantasy wants Mm -hmm. and now it's the inclusion of other people's fantasy wants and it's the inclusion of other people instead of the fetishization of other people um and i think that that's that's always that's always good to a game yeah well you know uh if if you don't bring new people into a hobby it dies the hobby dies yeah like it's it's really as simple as that Mm mm-hmm and, you know, I mean, I'm not going to fib. I'm not going to, I'm not going to lie here. I, I am perfectly happy playing in a, a campaign setting that is very clearly, Hey man, this is like really, really, really Western Europe in the 1400s. Like right. I would, I would totally do that. And I'd mm-hmm. be totally comfortable doing that. Mm-hmm. Like, okay, we're going to, we're going to just basically port everything from Tolkien into this. And like, those are all the tropes we're using and it's going to be totally troperific and we're fine with that. Oh yeah. Okay. And, and I'd play the hell out of that and I'd have a lot of fun doing it. But there are a lot of people who'd look at that and go, okay, but this thing is problematic here. Mm-hmm. Can we, can we talk about the idea that an entire race of people is evil? Like as a right. default with like no... Can we talk about that? Like, this makes me uncomfortable. Mm-hmm. And if you have somebody confront you with that, the response should be, okay, let's talk about that. You know, and mm-hmm. and okay, yeah, maybe maybe that's a thing. Maybe we should look into that. You know, let's let's figure out how to work that out. And um, you know, if 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 somebody says, well, you know, if I want to play this character who does this, okay. Like, as you know, I mean, I, I, I personally don't like the idea of, of playing evil aligned characters just because my adventure fantasies don't involve being a dick. But, you know, anything else, I'm, I'm totally, I'm, I, you know, like, yeah, let's, let's let's talk about that. Let's let's turn this into a collaboration. Right. And, you know, um, so that so that nobody who's who I know is listening is is thinking I'm attacking anybody. I know that my friends who are you know massive edition warriors from earlier editions are not the kind of people to exclude anybody from their table at all, and are not uh, and and are 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 committed to being uh, uh, you know open-minded and accepting of people in the real world. Mm-hmm. But there are some conversations that we've had about the underlying kind of tropes and assumptions that are involved in some of the stuff they want to have in in the games that they run and play. Mm-hmm. And they get uncomfortable with that. Mm-hmm. And, 
you know, with all of the love and respect I have for them, like guys, because you are guys and Mm -hmm. you're probably thinking I'm only talking to one of you right now because I've had these conversations with each of you separately, but no, I'm talking to more than one of you right now. Uh, With all of the love and respect and admiration I have for you, you know, let's think about broadening our horizons a bit. Right. And and let's let's think about the level of emotional reaction we're having to steps that are being taken to make the hobby more inclusive to other people who don't look like us and haven't had our life experiences. Mm-hmm. And let's let's try to remember that that isn't actually a threat to our ability to have fun. Yeah. And and like in, in the middle in the middle of us recording these sessions between recording sessions, you know, we talked about uh, we need we need to you know talk about the the you know issues the, the racial issues the the kind of white the, the the systemic white supremacy that that kind of is involved in, in tabletop hobbies. Mm-hmm. And I don't know if we I, I don't know if there's enough uh statistically kind of stuff if there's enough scholarly anything to to really spend a whole episode on it but i think kind of touching on it here is necessary Mm -hmm. and so this this is kind of this is kind of my effort to try to do that here at the end Mm -hmm. is is because of these things that have happened recently with 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 publishers and the response that i've seen from too many guys my age who look like me Mm-hmm. That you know the hobby is being ruined and Wizards has just gone the way of you know caving to PC pressure, and you know now orcs are people too. And I mean we had a whole episode about me starting out kind of bitching about the idea of orcs being people too, and then eventually having to come around to no, <laughs> yeah, you know if we're being intellectually honest and we don't want to be jerks about it, they kind of have to be. Like, yes, you know, <laughs> um, you know, and and. Yeah, that's that's basically kind of it is is we need to we need to recognize that having a more inclusive hobby, having having a set of rules and a set of settings and aesthetics that make people feel represented, make people feel welcome is a good thing for all of us. Yeah, I would say the setting thing is is especially important. Um, yeah. having a picture of your fighter be, you know, Carthaginian, um, and Numidian, uh, that's, that's cool, but you know, it's really cool having an entire setting that's not central Europe. Yeah. Yeah. Oh, heck if they even did central Europe, that'd be kind of a, kind of a big change. That's true. Uh, <laughs> I think, I think you were looking for Eurocentric, um, but if they if they actually had a, a game system that was in the Balkans, that'd be huge. I was just thinking to... of like where a huge forest was that the Romans were afraid of. Oh, okay. <laughs> so in that sense, yes. Yeah. Uh, but you, know, you say Central Europe, and, and yeah. I, I go actually farther east than Germany. I think Czechoslovakia. Yeah. And and over into the Balkans, which is I guess technically Eastern Europe. But anyway, mm-hmm. um, you know. So yeah, no, like like. We used to, my, my, my buddies and I, uh, in high school, 
we whined and complained so much about how none of the girls at our high school were were nerds. Mm-hmm. And I mean, we were wrong because they were. We just weren't paying attention and didn't didn't like we had our own issues that we weren't, you know, looking in the right places or, or, you know, recognizing the right things, um, which was sexist of us, like hugely. And, and I know that, you know, well, and juvenile, show, but you yeah, guys are literally mental, juveniles. Like, like we literally were juveniles. So, you know, I'm going to have a little bit of compassion for my, for my old self, mm-hmm. uh, you know, but like, you know, uh, if, if we ever have him on the show, a friend of the show, Bishop, uh, O'Connell, is is gonna corroborate for me that like no no we had extended bitching sessions about like <laughs> you know not not having any girls in our in our circle of friends um and you know and now the hobby is getting progressively more and more female friendly mm-hmm. along with more lgbtq friendly and, and ethnically racially friendly to, to other people and, and there's more and more representation there and it's like so many guys my own age are all of a sudden like getting pissed off about this stuff. And I'm like, guys, do you not remember? Mm-hmm. And I mean, in some cases, they don't. But because, you know, let's be honest, that was 30 years ago. But yeah. come on now. <laughs> so anyway, that's that's I don't know. That's that's kind of where where I'm I'm ready to leave it. Um at this point is just, you know, the, the roots of the edition wars include some generational and representational issues that I think anybody who's angry about it needs to really reflect on. Mm -hmm. And, and there, that's my money shot. There we go. Yeah. No, I, I, I see no reason to disagree. Um, I I would point out that, uh, you know, as it, here's what I've gleaned um, over the last several episodes is yes. as the additions have gone on in time, we as a society have evolved as a society does. As a culture, we have evolved. We have allowed more people at the table, uh, you know, as a culture that is good. Uh, it is only fitting that the art and the games that we play reflect that. To think otherwise is to think that culture is a static thing, um, and that's simply untrue. Uh, and also, you know, evolution of a game system is never going to be perfect because it grows semi-organically and semi-planned by people who are enmeshed in their culture. So, I mean, this is a game that started in the 1970s. You know, Hank Aaron broke the t- the the uh, home run record in the 1970s. He was getting death threats. Oh yeah, that was in the 70s. That was only a couple years before our beloved game got started. Oh yeah, no, so it, the world the world is a, is a immensely different place. Yeah, it's it's changed by leaps and bounds. We've our population has exploded. Um, you know, we, we have, again, like I said, more representation. We have, you know, a, a, what, that was what, two generations ago? Um, oh, fuck you. And then some, God, so. <laughs> yeah, no, you're right. It's it true works. though, you know, and it's, yeah, it's, it totally is. so all of that, you know, uh, a game 
is reflective. A game is art, and art is reflective of the culture and shapes the culture um, because it reinforces the stories and it tells the stories. Yeah. And so I think that that's one of the reasons that, like, why is it getting more inclusive? Because our society is. Why is it getting more um, more collaborative? Because our society is starting to realize that that's the way out. Um, so, yeah, it would make sense that that would be the fantasy. So, you know, you can tell a lot about a, about a culture by how it fantasizes and uh, how, how dearly people hold on to those fantasies, I think. And I think this is starting to show that. Um, yeah, no, yeah. that's, that's, that's very deep for, for an otherwise very frivolous kind of topic. Yeah. <laughs> uh, well, you know, uh, all right. So, uh, what are you reading? Anything reading, watching, seeing, listening to, um, watching, sure. I have recently had the chance to, uh, get back into watching Longmire, on Netflix, which okay. uh, I recommend very highly, mm-hmm. um, because it has, I think, one of the best representations of an adult male of a of a very deep adult male friendship. Okay, that I've seen uh, uh, the the protagonist and his best friend. Uh, the the titular Longmire is the sheriff of a town in in Wyoming. And his best friend is uh, a uh, Native American uh, owner of a bar in the town. And, and the two of them have a friendship that goes back to Vietnam because um, they're both old guys. Mm-hmm. And, uh, yeah, no, it's it's amazingly well-written. And Lou Diamond Phillips uh, plays the, the, the best friend, and he's amazing. Speaking uh-huh. speaking of representation, I just heard a, a quote from him the other day. He said, if I only played my bloodline, I never would have gotten work. There you go. Yeah. So, cool. Yeah. yeah. All right. So that's my recommendation. I'm not, I'm not reading anything right now. Um, I want to try to fix that. So, yeah. <laughs> uh, how about you? Uh, I'm going to recommend, uh, so there's a fellow that I'm friends with, uh, and he doesn't know that I'm plugging this on this podcast. I don't even know if he listens. Uh, His name's Teo Morgan. And before the plague times, he had a game that he kind of homebrewed up. It was kind of D and D, but it it ended up not being D and D. Anyway, it was called diversity and dragons. Um, and he used to do it down at the comedy spot and he and I were always talking about like when he could get me on because, you know, I play D and am a big nerd and on and on and on. Um, it never actually happened. Um, and he had a really cool regular cast. Um, but, uh, he also, I know put a few of them on the YouTubes. So if it's still out there, I'm recommending people check out diversity and dragons. Um, and, uh, he's, uh, he's an interesting cat. Uh, you look up Teo Morgan, T-E-O Morgan, um, probably find him on, uh, all the social medias. Uh, he has a lot of interesting things to say about, um, diversity in, in these role-playing games. So, all right. um, yeah, so that's, that's what I would, I would recommend. So, all right. Yeah. I'm going to have to, I'm now, you know, after recording all this, I'm, I'm fired up to go look that up. <laughs> Cool. Let me know how it goes. Yeah. Uh, so uh, where can people find you if they want to uh, tell you why they're not going to fuck off out of your hobby? 
they can find me at E.H. Blaylock on Twitter and also those same initials on TikTok, although you won't find very much at that address. Uh, and on Instagram, you can find me at Mr. Blaylock. Uh, and of course, if you want to shout at both of us at the same time, you can find us at Geek History Time on the Twitter machine. And where can they find you? Uh, find me at Duh Harmony on Twitter and Instagram. Find me every Tuesday night on twitch.tv forward slash capital puns, uh, Tuesday nights at 8.30 p.m. Those are a few good places to find me. Uh, so, yeah. Oh, and also, anytime there's a door that needs to be held open, I'm your guy. There you go. Because so, you're a monk, and that's what monks do. That's what monks do. <laughs> All right. Well, for a geek history of time, I'm Damien Harmony. And I'm Ed Blaylock. And until next time, may all of your skill roles have advantage. <laughs>